We went to the St. Patrick's Day Parade yesterday. Multiple local celebrities were there, but one of them came up to me, took the beads off from around his neck, and put them around mine. I'll give you some hints as to who it was. He went to my alma mater, JMU. It's not Brian. He's a meteorologist. He has a mustache. Robin Reed. And I have to say, he has been voted the sexiest man in Roanoke, in the Roanoke magazine. I felt so honored. Oh, whoops, am I boasting? Boasting, Paul. Paul, was Paul boasting? A Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee, a tri- of the tribe of Benjamin. He had all these things, all these credentials, all these big things on his resume. And yet, he took everything that was in the prophet column and moved it over into the loss column for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord. Everything that made him worthy in his society was part of who he was and what he had done. A name like Rockefeller or Vanderbilt, an Ivy League education with a law degree, a parliamentarian who knew religious laws and practiced them perfectly, and a member of multiple country clubs. All these things, though, become rubbish to Paul. Degrees, membership cards, passports, all get dumped in the big blue trash cans in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. The power of resurrection. And not just any resurrection, but Jesus Christ's resurrection. At last Monday's Connection Group, we were talking about discussing whether it is our faith in Christ that saves us or is it the faith of Christ that saves us or it could also be translated the faithfulness of Christ that saves us or do we have to be as faithful as Christ to be saved? We determined that most of these are impossible. (laughs) To have complete faith, the, the complete faith of Christ can't do it in this life. His faith has already been accomplished, and we see then the power of his resurrection. Now, Paul and his Greek may lack clarity for us, but we can embrace his goal, that is, the power of the resurrection, knowing Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. The problem we have, or maybe it's just me, but I think it's societal, is that resurrection comes through suffering. Isn't that annoying? In our society, it's as if we think suffering should be outlawed. If we're suffering, we must not be doing something right. If we're suffering, then God is punishing us for some sin we committed. If we're suffering, it's a consequence of a bad decision or a series of bad decisions. And sometimes that's true. And yet sometimes, like some people translate the first of Buddha's four noble truths, life 
is suffering. John Donne, the 17th century poet, experienced great pain in his life. Because he married the daughter of a disapproving lord, he was fired from his job as assistant to the Lord Chancellor. He was yanked from his wife and locked in a dungeon, and this is when he wrote that succinct line of despair, John done, and done, undone. Later, he endured a long illness which sapped his strength almost to the point of death. And in the midst of these, this illness, Don wrote, Dunn wrote a series of devotions on suffering. And in one of these, he considers that the sickness which keeps him in bed forces him to focus on his spiritual condition. Suffering gets our attention. It forces us to look deeper, to look at God when otherwise we would just as well ignore him. In John's Gospel, chapter 12, we see that Jesus is with his good friends in Bethany, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. You can read about that in the previous chapter. But this here was six days before the Passover, and his friends hold a dinner in his honor. And Mary, who I see as a bit of a rebel, comes and does something very out of the ordinary. And I say she's a rebel because if you read the, in Luke chapter 10, then you see that of Mary and Martha, Martha's the one who's always activity, is activity-oriented, task-oriented, and wanting to provide hospitality, and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, and Jesus said, well, she's chosen the better part. At Jesus' feet, like a man disciple. And so here, here she takes this really expensive perfume, and she pours it on Jesus' feet, the dirtiest part of the body, And she wipes it with her hair. How strange. How intimate. And how beautiful all at the same time. That perfume was worth a year's wages. The fragrance filled the house in the way that her action fills history with this example of worship and love. Judas was not impressed. Why was this perfume not sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor? And then Luke tells us, parenthetically, he said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. But to us, to the early seers of this event and readers about the event, it appears that Mary was anointing Jesus for burial. For early readers, if she had anointed his head as Matthew and Luke describe, then she would have been anointing royalty. But here, F. Dale Bruner calls this an anointing of humility to anoint the feet 
Jesus was preparing for suffering and death for serious humility. Mary and Judas had different goals. Mary's goal was to focus outwardly to honor Jesus. Judas' goal appears to be very self-focused. Convenience. Money. To sound good in front of Jesus, maybe. And so we want to think about our goals. What are our goals when it comes to the life of the Spirit? To the life of the church? A few days ago, 115 Roman Catholic cardinals sat down at four rows of tables inside the Sistine Chapel with one goal, to elect a new pope. After four ballots, the tally of 77 was reached. And after accepting the papacy, Jorge Bergoglio announced that he would assume the name Francis. He changed into the papal robes, and then he returned to the gathering. And according to news articles, aides brought in a platform with a white chair for Francis to sit on as the cardinals came by one by one to pay their respects. And the pope declined to sit in that chair that was elevated. He wanted to be on the same level as his brothers, his brothers, the cardinals. And so the the cardinals achieved their goal of electing a pope, but now there are other goals to be set and met, met. And so think about the goal of church even the goal of this church? Is it the goal of this church to have a place to hear great music like we've done today? Is it the goal of a church to be a place for community and family? Is it the goal of church to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a world in need? When Ken Olin is trying to help people understand the importance of clear goals, he divides his listeners into two groups, and both parties are given a puzzle with a certain time limit to, for getting all the pieces together in the puzzle. And the puzzles are identical except that one group gets the box top and the other one doesn't. And without exception, enthusiasm remains high for those who can see what they are trying to accomplish, and morale plummets for those who flounder without a clear goal. Sound familiar? Listen again to the Apostle Paul's goal. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the, of the heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ 
has made us his own. He has done the work for us. It remains only for us then to join him. A little boy appeared at someone's door selling postcards for a dime. He was asked what he was going to do with the money he was earning, and he said, I'm raising $100,000 for our new church building. And the potential customer said, do you expect to raise it all by yourself? And the boy answered, oh, no, sir, there are two of us. I like that image because even with two, we can pursue great things for God. We can press on toward the goal of the heavenly call of Christ Jesus. So if you are going to design your own puzzle and puzzle box for Calvary Baptist Church, what would be on the box top? What would it look like? Would it look, would it look like a beautiful sanctuary or an organ pipe or a gym, beautiful front steps? Well, maybe not. Or would it look like people? Who would you picture on the front of your box top? How many faces would you put there? Would you put representative five faces of all ages? Would you put representative five faces of various skin tones? Would you put someone who's dressed not so nicely besides someone who's dressed very professionally? I think we kind of go back to our beginnings when we think about vision. The original vision of this church was to become a second Baptist church in Roanoke, Virginia, because Roanoke Baptist Church was getting too big. And more people were moving to town, and so let's start another Baptist church so the people who come in can, can find a family, can find a place to worship and a place to serve. Is that still our vision? Is that what's on our box? Patrick is the patron saint of Ireland. But did you know Patrick was English? He was taken over to Ireland as a slave, some say at the age of seven, and put out there on the hillside as a shepherd for six years. He was a slave in Ireland. And then he had this vision, and he escaped, and he went back to England, and then he studied for the priesthood, and then he returned to Ireland, to that place of beginning, that place of openness, that place where people needed to hear the gospel. And he stayed there, and he loved the people into knowing Jesus. He pressed on toward the goal of resurrection and new life. 
We can't do it alone, church. We can't do it even as two people, even as four. It takes the whole congregation, as some would say, every oar in the water for us to become the church that God wants us to be. Because all of us are gifted, and as all of us share those gifts, then people beyond this congregation learn about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a privilege. It's the only thing that's in our asset column, but it's more important than anything else that was a prophet before. We work together. We press on together toward the goal of resurrection and new life. Let's pray. Oh, Lord our God, you have given us quite a vision, and we know we are unable to accomplish it by ourselves, but we have you alongside us. You are the one who has vision. You are the one who has hope and strength. You are the one who gives us courage and boldness, like Mary, to do something rebellious and loving and worshipful, that others remember and are inspired by. We thank you, Lord God, for being the one who cares for us. Congregation, I invite you to pray with me our responsive prayer of confession in your bulletin. Holy source of new life, you promise to set us free from paths of fear, doubt, and denial. Yet we resist your invitation, seeing only what we must give up if we are to follow the path of Jesus. You call us to have faith in your sustaining presence and power, but your call takes us beyond anything we can see or touch. We fear placing our trust in things beyond our control. We doubt that you can bring water to the dry places of our lives or replace our suffering with joy. Forgive us when we turn away from your promise of abundant life. Heal us and lead us home, Holy One. Amen. Jesus Christ has come offering us forgiveness, and that forgiveness extends to all of life to all of us, and to all aspects of our lives. Congregation, through Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God.